once you're doing things remotely and online, all of a sudden you've got to really reflect and be a lot more intentional. You know, I can't just walk into a room with some sticky notes uh, and improvise everything. So welcome back, podcast listeners. This is episode six of the Open Practice Podcast, where we have a conversation around exercises, activities that we call practices. But not everything is as clear cut as like icebreakers and introductions. Sometimes we want to try and talk about something that the practices help inform. Today, we have a special guest, Dimitri Kleiner, and we're going to look to discuss team forming, various activities about team forming, uh, why it's important about team forming, and I could go on and on and on about why I feel that team forming is really, really cool, but I want to hand it over because with me, we have Jerry Becker. Jerry Becker, my wonderful co-host. I'll let you get a few words in there. Hey, everybody. Yeah, Matt, you you do that in a much more polished way, that intro, than I do. <laughs> Man, <laughs> you come you come prepared. I really just shoot for the hip, but that was smooth, man. That was smooth like butter. Thanks. So yeah, episode six, on our way. Excited and excited to talk to Dimitri here on uh, on this topic that I think we all are pretty, pretty passionate about team forming and how important it is and kind of like the foundation of anything else the team does is is built on how the team is formed and the strength of it. So, um, so let's get into it. I just want to know, what do you do? Who is Dimitri <laughs> Kleiner? Well, uh, right now I'm a delivery lead at, uh, at a startup called Terminus DB, where we're making um, a database uh, that is has a DevOps, uh, data ops kind of a focus. So it's a database that has revision control built into it. So you can do things like branching and merging at the database level. And we're, we're a startup. And so... Uh, you know, all of us kind of do everything. So I'm part of the I'm part of the management team, which is uh, which is pretty small. And uh, because we're a startup, very hands-on. So like my CTO and my CEO are essentially are essentially uh, tech leads for 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 two of our engineering teams. That despite also being the CEO and the CTO, they're very very hands-on. Um, and uh, and and I, I'm focused on uh, delivery. So that means that uh, whether it's customer delivery or getting our products done in terms of product management. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, kind of figure out what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we doing it, what are we doing now, what have we done, and these uh, and these these kinds of these kinds of questions. Uh, trying to, you know, startups are very organic and very kind of hyper agile, but uh, need to kind of get focused as they move forward, right? There's an initial period of great innovation where there's a lot of great ideas and great tech and great work done, um, you know, but it's like it's like the, you know, the race car that's still not assembled, right? The engine's somewhere in the kitchen, the wheels are in the back there somewhere. And yeah, independently, it all kind of works, but nobody's ever actually ever seen it on the road. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's, uh, and that's kind of the the task of getting to market, putting everything together so that you know so that you can get it on the road, get it into the hands of users, and that's uh, and that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what I do there. Although I do have a developer background as well, so I do also contribute code here and there. Uh, but my primary focus is on is on figuring out uh, you know what we're doing and how to uh, you know how to organize the discovery delivery cycles. Yeah, I can see how the focus on team building, especially in your role, is so important with delivery because that's really, like you were saying, things can look great on paper, and you know, like mm -hmm. this idea of of the the vision for the car that you're building, 
might be right. great and sexy, but it, yeah, if your engine is still stuck in the kitchen and your wheels are bouncing around in the backyard and stuff, like it all comes down to delivery because yeah. that's where value comes in, right? Exactly. And, and being able to manage a team and bring that team together in order to deliver is, exactly. uh, I mean, that's definitely a full-time job. It takes a lot of a lot of thought and work. Um, yeah. And we'll definitely we'll definitely get into the team building, but before we do, we'll do a quick question, and and it might be one that you're familiar with, but we ask it to all of our guests. So coming into this podcast, thinking about how you're feeling right now, what what would be your spirit animal that you identify with? I mean, often uh, uh, when when I'm, when I'm working on um, in co-located teams, I often choose owl as a spirit animal because I like to kind of like look around, uh, be very and, and sort of respond. With, where I see things, although being an owl in these remote times has been a challenge, and it's it's I don't know what spirit animal I've had to evolve into. I haven't really I haven't really reflected on it that much, but it's it's interesting at how like how much more assertive you have to be because uh, when you have the luxury of co-location, you can ask a lot of questions, you can observe, you can hang back, and then you can kind of guide things. When you're in a remote situation you have to put a lot more effort in planning a workshop. You have to put a lot more effort in making sure that the people that are in the workshop know why they're there, that they're engaged and things like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to kind of like, it's, you know, on one hand, on one hand, you're kind of like an owl, but on the other hand, you're also kind of like uh, a lead, like, like, a, like, like, the like alpha gorilla as well because you have to kind of be a bit of a pack animal at the same time so like you kind of have to switch back and forth like uh kind of saying we're doing this now in this particular order and everybody here and then oh yeah so what do you think and how's that going for you like you have to kind of be able to uh switch back and forth yeah so i'm gonna go super nerd uh so in pokemon there is an owl pokemon and it's called a hoot hoot and from that hoot hoot, you can it has an evolved form called the Noctowl. And, ah, so, and so I feel like perfect. feel like you you've evolved into a new <laughs> owl form. <laughs> Upgrade. That, that's pretty good. That, that's I was pretty actually good. I was actually picturing a gorilla the size of an owl that could also fly <laughs> and turn its head all the way around. Right, and it was right, both right. mesmerizing and terrifying at the same time. That's a spirit animal that if they're speaking, I'm listening to. That's yeah. right. Exactly. It, it could be like yeah. a well, well, what was that thing called from D and I think it was called like an owl bear or something like There's that. There's an owl bear, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You, you can just choose that. That's a that's a pretty fearsome fearsome thing. But at the same time, it, very it could totally thing. be gentle. <laughs> I played some D and D with the kids at it out of the castle looking for non-screen entertainment forums i taught them uh we like we amazoned in some uh D dice and we like did some uh we got a simple version called beyond the wall which is a simplified role-playing game we played uh, played a few games of that there was even an owlbear involved in one scene ah, ah that's really cool so uh where i take it you were the dm in that conversation yes 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 yeah i was the dm so yeah exactly so as a as kind of like a DM, uh, one of the things that you end up looking for to create is actually forming that team as like an orchestrator. And so I'm yeah. wondering how that kind of plays in when we're actually when we're talking about other teams that we look to instigate. Yeah. Uh, you seem to have a, a nice foray into that. Yes. Yeah. 
So actually, a lot of interesting things that uh, that some of these things use, like uh, uh, what's that? Uh, lasers and feelings, and uh, beyond the wall. Are there like these are all like simplified kind of like role playing things that aren't as extensive as proper D and D, which I haven't played since the '80s, right? So it's uh, uh, would, that would have been way too way too much to take on. But they have these kind of character uh, and world forming kind of like tables, like where you roll dice. And I definitely think some of those kinds of things are are, are interesting because like, you know, we like uh we always use kind of things like like lineups and uh, where you where you say like when when was the first time uh, you know you ever heard of Linux or something like that. The people that have heard about it the longest time ago on this side, the people that have just most recently heard about it on that side as a way to as a way to mix. But I but I think some of these kind of like dice based things. I also use uh, the candy game quite often now in my online meetings like you know you know where you have the you pick a candy and one candy is like tell me about your the best movie you've seen recently another candy is like like so and so i have uh discord i have a little dice bot thing that you can type candy and it will give you a color and then a table that gives you a question so i think these kind of elements of like like role playing and things like that are are, are super useful in these kind of like team building processes right so the axle rods uh Richard and Emily, I'm thinking, Axelrod, they wrote a book called Let's Stop Meeting This Way that talks about the meeting canoe, uh, which uh, which is, uh, uh, I think, a very good, very, a very good, uh, a very good book about meeting. And it talks about the importance at the beginning of uh, of things like using things like icebreakers in the team building format to get the participants to connect to each other and the topic. Right. That's uh because you know what's uh, uh, what, what you don't want is people to, that are disconnected, right? So if you're if you have any kind of a work session, whether it's uh, like a training workshop or whether it's a discovery session or or like a planning session with your with your team, you want to get people to be engaged, right? And so you kind of want to uh, connect them as uh, in in the in, in in, in the words of the actual Ross to each other on the topic. I mean, I love using role playing, especially for uh, retros. I mean, I think Matt's heard about some of my mm-hmm. uh, some of my uh, retros that involve role playing, like like the um, the one where you're the one where you're hypnotized by Doctor Evil and trying to destroy the company you work for. It's, it's probably my most famous. Um, uh, <laughs> Sounds amazing. And. But the, the 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 reason for that is similar. It's like it's like because it gives you license, right? Like 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 we do retros, like you know, mad sad glad or whatever and we always try to provide people with an avenue to express negative things because actually in a retro you want people to express negative things it's great to have high fives and victories those are important too but it's what you want to know you know what people are uh you know what's troubling people as well and sometimes that's very difficult yeah i really like the the concept so the the meeting canoe reminds me of like you know everyone's looking to paddle in the same direction and how do you orchestrate that uh, directional flow. And it really aligns with something that I really drive for in a lot of meetings and uh, like workshops specifically to where you just get everyone comfortable with each other. Generating that same, that safe space to form that team in that meeting. Now, whether it's people that have known each other for a long time or people that uh, are brand new, but it's very important uh, to have that. And I, the thing I latched on, Dimitri, I'm, I'm already like, I, I started taking notes, is mm-hmm. don't just intro, don't just form that group, but really look to connect them with the task at hand. 
And I think it's a key thing because it really sets the tone for we are all here and let's drive together. Let's let's paddle our canoe in this way. And you kind of start at the back where the steering comes from. And then as you get for, more forward and forward, I don't know if anyone's done like dragon boating, mm -hmm. the power comes from the front, right? Right. And, and so you need to directionally align yourselves so that you're all uh, going in the direction you want, and then you can powerhouse your way through any of the activities that you're trying to go for. I may have taken Absolutely. the canoe thing a little too far, but I, no, I take I think, analogies very seriously, as Jerry knows. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's very true to the way the axle rods see it as well. I think I, I'm not sure that they have the dragon boat experience that you have to bring in where the power comes from. I think you've extended it in a way they'd appreciate, but the, but the metaphor is that exactly is that you you want everybody paddling in the same direction yeah that's right. definitely making sure everybody's go going in the right direction and, yeah, and that leadership exactly. is really important yeah. and i think yeah exactly i think sometimes people think that just because the team is in the room for the first time at this at the same time they think they're already in the canoe together and they're not yeah it's more like they're standing right. on the shore now we got to go through because if, if, if we just let them start working right away they're just going right. to they're going to all be jumping in and climbing over each other and it's going to tip and capsize or they're going to not, you know, be wasting energy because they're trying to go in different directions and stuff. And so, you know, like having that having that moment of really being intentional about bringing the team together and being clear about who we are, what are our expectations, how are we going to work together? What are we even doing here? What problem we're solving? Um, and then even before that, getting into some of just building up some of that trust and stuff, you had mentioned icebreakers. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'd be curious to know, like, um, if, like, what is your mentality when you're thinking about forming a new team and you're thinking about the first thing you want to do with that team, maybe an icebreaker is like, how do you go about selecting which, which icebreaker to do? Is it something that you just kind of like to play with? If you get tired of one, you'll just bring in a new one. Is there a thought process to it? And maybe, maybe what are some of your favorite ones at the moment? I mean, my favorite one is, without a doubt, Agile Faces when you have the, when you're mm -hmm. in the same room. Like, I mean, Agile, Ag Agile Faces is by far the most effective icebreaker. And I, and I use that every time I get a chance. If I actually have people in the same room, that's always going to be my go-to icebreaker because that's fun. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, it, it has all the right elements where we get people talking to each other. So you get to meet like each person meets like, you know, five different people for a few minutes in the, uh, in the room. When you put the agile faces on the wall, even if it only looks vaguely like them, it's kind of enough that you have their name up there and you have the thing and then you, and then, you know, oh yeah, they were that one. And so it's an iconic reference to that person. You can always look back on the wall and you can go, oh, well, what was that person's name? That was Jerry. That was Matt. Right. And that's, uh, and so I think that's, uh, it, you know that's why that's my my favorite by far. Uh, in terms of the remote stuff, it's been this candy one that I that, that I've said because it's like you know um, you want to start every session with people talking about their personal lives, just the way we did this session here, because that gets people that gets people relaxed, it gets people into the flow, it gets people open, right? So you don't want to just like start the meeting and then get right down to like let's look at our Kanban, right? And get people a chance to open up, and that's hard for a lot of people. And so, and so the candy game works really well. So I just have this little Discord bot that uh, you type candy and it gives you a color. And then I have a table with questions uh, that I change every couple of weeks. So Agile Faces is usually driven by a single facilitator, maybe kind of like two facilitators. Mm -hmm. The candy game seems that uh, it could be anyone really kind of running a meeting. Is there a specific role that should look to implement uh, this kind of style of activity? Or is it really just a uh, round robin type thing? So like my team's just used to it. 
they're just now they're just kind of like meeting, having a meeting. If everybody just starts the candy game, I was having, I was having, uh, I was having trouble with uh, tech, as of course happens a lot. Uh, yesterday for the first meeting, and the people just kind of just started doing it because they know the drill, and so the candy game is there. Everybody knows the drill. People just, uh, you know, people just do it. it. Doesn't really require any facilitation. It just requires an order. And somebody can go, go like, I'm going to go they pick a candy. And then they talk about whatever topic the candy tells them to talk about. I love the transformation that ended up occurring inside the team. Uh, I, I kind of want to point it out. In the beginning, it was something that was driven kind of by you. Uh, just the person that ended up having the idea to kind of form the team, leveraging the candy game. And over time, the team had formed to the point to where it doesn't matter who is really running the meeting, the team is understanding and loves progressing that because it supports their ability to get to know one another and to become an adopted practice as a team. Uh, I find that incredibly intriguing. I really wanted to call that out because it's super important that the team continually forms and evolves. And as they form, they actually want to form more. It's kind of like this... Yeah. Uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, absolutely. I have a very simple principle when it comes to tools: is that uh, it, it should be easier to use a tool than not to use it. Uh, right? That's uh, it. Sounds obvious, but a lot of a lot of a lot of tools uh, don't uh, don't have that. And because a lot of tools are imposed by management, people use them anyway, even though they're not actually easier than not using it. If the, uh, and so, when I introduce tools to a team, I just see if they use it or not. And if they use it, then it tells me that it's actually helping them, it's delivering value. It's, so it's easier for them to do their job with their tools. If they're not using it, if I have to chase them, if I have to chase them around to get them to update this or that, then I then I dump the tool rather than chase them around because then I realize, well, actually, this tool is obviously not helping them do their work. Yeah, Dimitri, I love the um, the human centered approach to finding the right mix of of tools and communication for a team, which I think is super important, especially as like, um, especially as like a delivery lead or something, you, it's really important to remember that you have to have one eye on on delivering and producing something. And that's really what you're there for. But to right. get there, you need to have your other eye on the health of the team itself and bringing it together. And in, in some of the stories you've shared for icebreakers and stuff that you've that you've done and gotten to the point where the team just expects it, they're comfortable with it, they can jump in at any time and run it. I think we all wanna get to that point as quickly as we can when forming new teams. And so I was wondering if you could kind of talk about um, like why do you think team forming is so important and that you should be intentional of it? Like what's the value you get out of that? And then what are some of the things that you do um, specifically to try to do that team forming early on. The best way to learn something is to explain it to somebody because that kind of really forces your brain to kind of absorb the material. It's also what I try to do with my kids here when I'm running the family schoolhouse during these uh, uh, quarantine times, right? It's like, I, you know, I'm always trying to get them to explain it to me, right? That's uh, that's a great technique, and so that's why you have to kind of uh, form the teams, right? So what, what the, there's there's many different techniques uh, depending on the context. One of my favorites is something that I uh, that that comes from um, the breading structures. It's called uh, the one two for all, and it's uh, it's that's kind of like my go-to. I use one two for alls pretty much everything. I've introduced them extensively into. Uh, 
for innovation labs and everywhere i go i leave one two four alls behind because it's it's uh it's one of my favorite things and, it, and it's 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 very organic kind of like uh way of team building because you just first of all say here's the question that i'm asking to the team or here's the thing to think about now everybody just sit by themselves with something to with some note paper and write down some thoughts about this question or topic and then you say okay great now just like uh you know, choose somebody else, much like you would in Agile Faces. Sometimes you say, choose somebody you haven't worked with before or somebody you don't know. And then just both of you share what you've written down and try to figure out uh, if there's some commonalities there you want to bring to the next, uh, you know, to the next stage. And then you double them up. You say, okay, so each pair uh, now is with another pair. And so now you have fours. And then the fours discuss what they want to do. Uh, and then they present back to the room. And that's a really very, very effective way of having of having a discussion. And then you have these foursomes, which then you can also like double up into like eights or whatever else. And then you have this kind of organic, uh, organic way of building. And then you have these kind of like teams, and then these teams start to have kind of like their own identity. And then, it, uh, of course, in the uh, uh, in the in the DevOps training that uh, the Matt and I have done in the past, we would definitely like introduce that, and we started giving them team chants and team names and things like that to kind of give them more kind of like team pride, so that they were kind of really kind of putting that into their into their work. And and that also helps them engage more with each other and the topic because they're now you know this team they've got a name they've got a slogan um, you know then we then then we move forward to the social contract they start to agree on their ways of working together and this same kind of process is also something you can do with a more permanent team like of course there's a difference between a team that's come together for a week to do a DevOps training and the, versus a team that's going to be working together indefinitely as a startup or an enterprise or or the team is going to stay together for six weeks. All of these are kind of like different kind of levels, but they all benefit from the same kind of thing. You want to get people very, very used to like the one, two for all kind of structure where they're more often talking in pairs and foursomes and then presenting back to the group rather than having like plenary like styles where people are just talking at random and two people dominate the conversation. So very true. So very true. Man, you said so many like good little gems. I'm super interested. So like, all a lot of the conversation is around like how we look to try and form. And I love all of the ideas, but once you kind of form the team, there's usually a couple of benefits that come out of it. When you look to get value out back, back from the team uh, in the form of business value, the form of delivery for implementation. Uh, and I'm wondering what the impact of a good, highly formed team has on being able to do that delivery. Well, definitely. I mean, what you really want is uh, uh, is team autonomy. That's uh, that's what you strive for, and that's like uh, uh, you know where you know where you get a high func highly functional team is when the team has internally all the capacities it needs to fulfill its entire business line. It's about having people develop adjacent skill sets, but the real benefit is is, is autonomy, right? Because if, if you think about like an organization, the more you the more teams depend on each other. That's where the problems comes from. If you ever, 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 I'm sure we all have entered a new organization where they want to become more agile because nothing ever gets done. The first thing you hear is that, oh, we're always waiting for that other department, right? Oh, it's always IT. IT is never delivering, or it's always the, the developers. It takes so long; they never estimate properly. Or it's like it's always one team saying that the reason they're slow is because they're always waiting for another team. 
right? And so, and so what you want to do is you want to sever those dependencies such that each team can operate autonomy, uh, autonomously, right? Which often means reorganization, which the co co companies don't always like to hear because you're like to say, well, if you know, if these three teams need to work together instead of having three functional silos, why don't we have three cross-functional teams that have a bit of each of these, and then they'll be able to get they need to get done, right? So that's that, that's the key that's the key business value team forming is that you know once you have these truly autonomous teams, uh, cross-functional teams, they 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 can operate a lot faster because they never have these waiting times of having for some other department to deliver something and you never have to like you know worry that you can't accomplish because you're blocked by something from somewhere else and of course you can never get there to 100 to 200 there's always going to be some inter team dependencies especially in complex systems with a lot of handoffs and interactions but you can always be mindful of minimizing that such that the teams have the capacities they need and can do what they need to do on their own yeah, uh, looking to create the autonomous team, looking to kind of have that high-performing team and the super cross-functional ability uh, of the team. That is like the goal that we always hear uh, and so many customers that we go, I need my people to be cross-functional. And, and, but how do, you, how do you get down that point? And I, what's echoing in my head is setting up that space to where people feel comfortable because if people feel comfortable, they'll stretch themselves out to fill the space. Uh, I keep thinking about, uh, so I have two cats and uh, you know, cats, uh, if, if I fit, I sits and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how big or how small that area is. Uh, they look to grow to whatever amount of space <laughs> that you look to provide it. Mm -hmm. And I think of that in the form of teams and psychological safety. So mm -hmm. if they are not safe, if they don't feel safe, they will fit inside of that space, but it's really confining. And mm -hmm. they won't really necessarily branch out to anything. But if you mm -hmm. give them that safe space, if you give them that opportunity to fail, and that's okay, you give them that safety net, you give them that, it, you know, hey, what did you learn? Uh, yeah, kind absolutely. of conversation, then they'll grow out to fill the space, right? You know, the cat that's lying out on the back deck in the sun. Like I've never seen a bigger cat than than when my cat's out in the back deck. <laughs> <laughs> it grows. Yeah, psychological safety is super important to uh, to build into into teams and environments, especially when you're asking people to. Uh, you know, stretch themselves, as you put it, kind of expand into those adjacent adjacent roles, like get out of their comfort zone of their of their of their depth, and you know, you know, stretch out on the T, uh, uh, in order to in order to kind of like cover and work with adjacent roles. I think most people really want it, but uh, as you say, they have to feel mm -hmm. safe. They have to feel that it's not that it's not going. And 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 I think this is where this this is where like having common, you know, frequent retrospectives and a very kind of like a um a clear iterative process, right? Because I think another another key thing that's important is um is uh, agree and commit, right? Agree and commit is a is a is a really mm -hmm. Proud of teams, right? It's uh, it's you know, um, you know, people think people think consensus means that every single person in the room has to have the same view, and you have to keep talking until you. do. And that's not necessarily always possible. What you want is a culture of agree and commit, saying, okay, this may not be what I, I think we should do this iteration, but we've had this discussion, and I can agree and commit because I have the safety of knowing that at the end of the iteration we're going to have a retrospective, and we're going to revisit this topic, and and then potentially. You know, make a different decision. Yeah, and, and 
all I, what I what I constantly come back to is looking to set up that psychological safety that that uh, zone that you can feel comfortable to spread yourself mm -hmm. out and create like mm -hmm. that cross functionalness or T um, uh, T shaped style people mm -hmm. is really just getting the people to break out of this is how we work and mm -hmm. get into this is now our relationship and it and it starts going a bit deeper into a bit more personal it's been really intriguing as everyone's moved to work from home because you get that slice of home life now uh intentional or unintentional sometimes mm -hmm. uh, and but it's 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 humanizing and that humanizing is really forced teams to form at a different kind of a level and and I'm interested in what your what what you've seen inside your team as you started to transition from the in person into that more remote setting as to how did the team evolution and comfortableness uh, actually um, happen? I think uh, it's uh, it was really kind of so from the beginning we were a bit remote because we have an engineering center in Utrecht as well as the headquarters in Dublin and then and then a couple of randoms like me in Berlin and uh and uh um uh, uh Devrel uh, person in London so we were already a little bit thing but I was I was handling it the way that uh, you know professional services people have always handling handled it putting everybody on planes saying we're having a workshop now everybody be in this city and uh and so uh, and so I was doing it that way. So we had big workshops in Utrecht. We had big workshops in Dublin. We had customer uh, on-sites, uh, on-site discovery and on-site delivery sessions in Cork. Uh, and so that was that was my approach to bring it all together. So we were still doing remote stuff. And so I, always, I was already exploring bringing in some remote practices because we couldn't always bring everybody together always. But then, of course, the pandemic hit and it was all remote all the time. So there was so I had to accelerate that. I had to accelerate that process a little bit. And I think that um, uh, we made some really good choices early on. One of those was like just going all in on Discord. And, uh, and, and one of the great reasons that that was a great choice is because like, you know, when you're doing a video conference on, on Zoom, or a similar platform like BlueJeans or whatever, uh, you have to kind of schedule it. You send out a link. You put it in people's calendar, right? Uh, when you're when when you're doing a video like a, a co audio conference or a video conference on Discord, I can see. Oh, Matt and Jerry are in are in like the labs room. I wonder what they're talking about. I'm just going to go over and join, and that. And that gives you kind of a spontaneity that you don't have with regular video conferencing tools. So the, the feature mm. on Discord is that where I can see which rooms people are in uh, and who's talking to who, when like uh, I logged in and I saw there was four, room you, four rooms being used with a pair at each room. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is exactly the kind of interaction that I want, All right? So I can see who they're talking to in Discord. I can see which board in Mila everybody's looking at right now i can click on the onto the on who's online button and i can see where my team is working so it becomes much more like a real office if i see oh somebody's like you know at the you know at this particular board so they must be thinking about this maybe i'm going to walk over and talk to them and see if they have any questions or if they need support or whatever and uh and so and so that i think has really helped a lot so mila and discord has worked out really well for us i can i can go between a meeting room in, in utrecht and a meeting room in 
Netherlands and, and, and Ireland, sorry, with a click of a button right now, right? And, and it doesn't matter where my engineers are. The, 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 the ones in Dublin compare with the ones in, 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 in Utrecht just as easily as they compare with each other because it's all, it's all, it's all Discord and Milanote, right? So it's, uh, it's really mm -hmm. very, very easy. We have the same wall because our walls are in Milanote and we have the same rooms because our rooms are in Discord. So it doesn't matter where we are, we have that same physical environment. I've seen other people report about trying to use things like uh, like Red Dead Redemption or Animal Crossing as their <laughs> as their as uh, as as meeting rooms. That it's uh, like uh, I think it's great. I'd love to I'd love to play with that stuff. But I these think are I, these, just, yeah yeah these are both desperate just, and creative yeah. times right now. I think <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we're, just, we're we're trying everything, which is kind of cool. It, it's going to be cool to see how um, how remote teamwork. Um, you know, evolves after this because of all the experimentation that we're doing with different things yeah. and the creativity, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. And we have these very clear constraints on us right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts just team delivery for, you know, in, in the future, on the other side of this, no matter how things kind of shake out. Yeah. But, um, it's interesting that you were talking about um, you were so intentional about with your tool selection to have areas where people can do breakouts and stuff like that. And even with the Sokoko yeah. uh, tool that Matt had mentioned, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt and I, with our coworker, Tom, um, just ran uh, a handful of workshops at ProductCon and right. we had each team focus on, you know, what have you been learning about remote working and some like across all three teams, one of the most painful pain points that they experienced was that, that they were missing that um, that ability to just like coffee chat with a coworker, you know. And then yeah. so so we were trying to solve that with the teams and stuff and figuring out how you can, how you can do that together. But it's interesting that you had already been ahead of that and created that atmosphere that the team really likes. And you know, I think for for the listener that's out there that is like, hey, these things sound great because you know you guys have the ability to come in as facilitators at the beginning and team four and all that stuff, but. For, for the listener who was already on a team and they realized that maybe life isn't all sunshine and rainbows right now, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for, for the team to be intentional about forming because right now they're just working together and maybe there's some friction in how that's being done. So for that listener who's on a team that sees the possibility and sees the need for better team forming, what advice would you give on where they might start in, in solving that? I mean, I definitely, uh, I definitely think uh, some basic reading wouldn't hurt, like Patrick Lencioni stuff, uh, like 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 Death by Meeting and uh, and the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I think are 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 are, are really good basic material. They're super easy to read and fast because they're the novel. They're in business fable format, so they're like in, uh, so they're super easy to uh, to see. And then start with your meeting flow. Right, so like figure out, you know, because I think like Lechoni identifies in Death by Meaning, and like and people have written whole important books about like uh, Lise Keith's uh, where the action is and the actual rods. Uh, Let's stop meeting this way. Uh, books. I think like getting your meeting flow around, having your team communicating well. I think is really kind of if that's not happening, that's kind of the foundation that is everything else is going to be built upon if you're like meeting at random and there's and and, and nobody knows what any meetings are for uh, like every meeting is an everything meeting and uh where like the same three people have the same three discussions over and over again everybody's disengaged um that's going to be super hard to make progress right so like i think you know this uh this meeting flow uh and uh and team uh communication is the thing to really get to really get to really get nailed first
especially putting agendas and meeting invites and stuff and sticking to them so that yeah. you're driving the outcome. It, we've seen that be yeah. a huge benefit for us. It just really sets the expectation that this isn't going to be just a wasted meeting. You know, we're going to yeah. get together, we're going to do some work. You know, exactly. maybe we e maybe we even schedule the meeting for less than the default meeting time of 50 minutes mm -hmm. in Google Calendar, which which really I think helps people understand that you want to honor their time and really get work out of it, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, has there Absolutely. been like so in your in your team forming experience, either as a facilitator or team member or delivery lead, like ha can you remember a time where it was just really hard, where you were just there was a particular team that you were having a hard time getting together? Um, and maybe what attributed to that, and then maybe kind of how you addressed it. So yeah, obviously I don't want to uh, call out any particular organizations or uh, or things like that. So I'll I'll try to be a little bit general. Uh, but his name is answer, Matt Bonet and Jerry Becker. It's when the organization is not sincere. It's like this kind of, uh, it's, it's what I often call agile theater. It's where like, teams are given the ability to go through the motion of like, you know, having a good meeting flow, using right discovery practices, but decisions have been made by management or are imposed, uh, um, you know, schedules and timelines are already preordained and everybody in the team knows this. And, and, and so the whole thing just feels like we're just, you know, doing a, a theatrical production here, pretending, pretending we're agile. We all know very well that, you know, we've just been allowed. We just been allowed to like, you know, make the decisions already made by management again with sticky notes, uh, and can come up with a schedule that management's already imposed again with sticky notes, right? It's uh, it's and, and that and that is always and that is always the trouble, right? And so and and so in fact, some of the hardest uh, things that I've had to get over working with other teams. Um, uh, where organizations are not like that is actually getting the people in those teams to believe it. Right, because they've been kind of scarred by these previous experiences where organizations have had to go agile because they figure it's a, it's a way to get more productivity out of their teams, but they haven't committed to giving teams autonomy. Right. And like, like, if you've, I think Matt's seen some of my presentations around this and like, you know, where like, you know, what I say, the trouble is management, right? It's like, if management does not give the teams autonomy, then the structures won't help. The processes won't help. The practices won't help, right? The practices only help when the team has the autonomy to actually make decisions and, you know, you know, create schedules and build their iterations. Uh, um, and that's, uh, and, and, and when you're working with a lot of newer teams, they even when they have that autonomy, they don't believe it because they've been because they've been uh, um, from previous experiences. Uh, got thinking this is you know got, there's a phoniness about this where they, we pretend that we're making decisions here, but they've already been made. We pretend that there's a cone of uncertainty and we don't care about velocity and we're not going to measure, but actually we are. I am loving the conversation but i am also taking a look at the time we're like cats filling the space doesn't matter <laughs> yeah, but we didn't get set aside three hours we'll fill the space we'll lay in the sun <laughs> we I was like we didn't define the space and so this cat is like spreading out in the sun like no one's business <laughs> but uh what i what i want to really want to move into is a bit of uh i'm going to call it a podcast summary or podcast mm -hmm. reflections uh i love thinking back on the conversation and it kind of like sets the tone for having us 
take a bit of an action, uh, take what we learned from the conversation and really kind of replay that back. Uh, and then if people also wanted to just somehow find the last 10 minutes of our conversation versus listening to all of our dribble, we, they can look to do that for all the podcasts going, uh, maybe going forward. I can jump in with one. I think the one that stuck out with me uh, the most is this analogy that Dimitri was talking about with the uh, the meeting canoe. Um, and I definitely want to I definitely want to read that um, in in some more depth. But what I liked about it is in that small just image that you gave me, it it communicated so much about not just a team when it's forming, but the lifetime of a team and all of the things that play into it, because there's so many small nuanced details that go into, you know, getting the team together and headed in the right direction and figuring out the different roles and responsibilities and how we're working together. Um, and then like it even gets into, well, how do you onboard new people without disrupting what's going on with the team and in, in, in a way that doesn't reduce, you know, the, allow, the, the amount of work that's being done. And so I think that's definitely one that I'm going to be thinking a lot as almost like a mental construct for, um, you know, not only forming new teams, but then kind of taking those pulse checks throughout um, the delivery and the sprints and maybe even the retrospectives, looking to call things out about what the team thinks that they're doing. So I think that was a really powerful one for me. I really enjoyed that. You stole one of my reflections, Jerry, because I also <laughs> really enjoyed the canoe. Uh, I do love analogies. Uh, it's a great way to learn and to cement uh, concepts that are, are a bit more theoretical uh, and put them into like practical theory. And so along with the canoe though, I 100% forgot about the Dr. Evil retro and I'm going to bring that bad boy back. Um, <laughs> so thank you, Dimitri, for reminding me of that retro. The one that I kept remembering was the Elvis retro, retrospective, mm -hmm. and then the future spective with the magazines. Man, Dr. Evil just slipped through there. What a, what a, what a crafty villain that that guy is. <laughs> uh, and then the, the the other thing, candy. Oh my goodness, that was such a great idea. Random dice to uh, kind of like pick your candy and ask questions. Uh, I know like the 365 questions uh, that you can do is kind of like an icebreaker at the beginning of a meeting. You literally could just do that and then just randomize the dice, but call it candy. Uh, it's so mm -hmm. much more appealing. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Um, so uh, Richard and Emily Axelrod, I believe, uh, are the names of the people that wrote uh, that came up with the meeting canoe kind of a thing, and they and they have uh, their book is uh, Let's Stop Meeting This Way, which is uh, which is uh, uh, you know one of the one of the best books about about meetings. Um, probably my favorite book about meetings, uh, it's uh, even more detailed, is uh, Elise Keith and her uh, Where the Action Is, book Where the Action Is. So I recommend both of those. And then of course, Patrick Lencioni's Desk by Meeting is more consumable and simpler. So like like if, if you're trying to, you know, you guys should read the big thick ones, but uh, if you want to on, onboard a team uh, quickly, like Death by Meeting is like, you, you can, it's easily an afternoon's read. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, short, it's a, short, a short novel, but it, it gives you some of the basics and, 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 the overall, and the overall structure. So like, I mean, this is really my takeaway from the amount of times is that things that I've been able to kind of, uh, you know, that I've learned from experience by being so many, but there's, there's so many unintentional things that I was doing in meetings and workshops and discoveries because we had the luxury of co-location that I picked up from other facilitators like like Matt and Tim uh, from labs who I have you know other great facilitators that I've worked with over the years when 
things go remote, you have to be so much more intentional about it all of a sudden. All those things that you were just kind of doing because they were in your DNA, in your blood, that you just kind of like picked up from other, other people that kind of made things work. And you're like, you didn't really have to think too much about it because you just kind of knew the drill, knew the flow. Once you're doing things remotely and online, all of a sudden you've got to really reflect and be a lot more intentional. You know, I can't just walk into a room with some sticky notes uh, and improvise everything. If you had the experience and, and, you're, and you're comfortable improvising, you could pretty much get through any situation because you knew what you expected. You knew what good looked like and you know, and you know, what, uh, 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 you know how to kind of move people in that direction. But in remote times, everything has to be more planned, more broken down, more intentional. And you want to do that in a way without reverting, without losing our ideals by still making it human centric, still making it Elizabeth driven. Right. And that's, and that's, and, and, and that's been the, the biggest kind of challenge to bring those, bring those together to keep that participant centricity while adding the, the intentionality is necessary for remote times. Very true. Well, Dimitri, thank you so much, so, so much for joining and this invigorating conversation. Yes, yes, but yes. If, and if other people want to get in touch with you, uh, any any of our listeners are just like, man, I need I need to talk to that guy. How, how, how can people get in touch with you? I'm DMYTRI on Twitter. I'm on all, all known media and uh, and uh, and and uh, I'm on Discord all day every day these days so uh uh jump into uh jump into the uh terminus db discord channel say hi to me there we can go to private chat or i can introduce you to many of the other discord servers that i'm also now on uh <laughs> and and so uh uh but yeah but dmytri just my first name spelt uh spelt ukrainianish uh in uh on twitter sweet well thank you for the conversation dimitri And to all of you listeners out there, stay open. Hey, you. High fives to you for listening to this episode of the Open Practice Podcast. That was awesome of you. And you should do it more often because who doesn't like more awesome stuff in their lives? It's awesome. If you like what you heard and you want to know more, feel free to head over to openpracticelibrary.com where you can find a wealth of activities and practices that you can run with your team in order to help get you from idea to delivery. And while you're there, why not upload your own stuff too? This is all about a community. We all need to share what's in our brains so that we can all get better at creating better ideas and turning those into better solutions for people. So contribute, we need it. If you wanna keep up with us, you can also hit us up and follow us on Instagram at Open Practice Library. Thanks for listening and stay open.